So I am with uh, Tim Mackey, the one of the co-founders of the Bible Project, which is um, an incredible piece of um, intellectual, beautiful art and um, theology and teaching people how to read the Bible online. And it's beautiful. And you guys keep killing it like year mm-hmm. after year. Uh, you guys keep getting better. So good to, good to see you and talk with you, Tim. Yeah, totally. Dave, happy, happy to do it. Um, yeah, like I said, you, you guys keep getting better and better. Uh, r- right now I'm in your how to read the Bible series. And when did mm. you start that? Or when did you do that? Is it completed? <sighs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, it's a video series and a podcast series that we did probably over the course of about three years in the early years of the project. So that's many years in the rearview mirror for me. <laughs> in oh, terms really? Of, you know, um, developing all of that stuff. But the ideas in it are like my bread and butter of my yeah. day-to-day work, which is reading and meditating on scripture and then helping other people, you know, figure out what it means for them to engage these different parts of the Bible. Yeah, I um, I don't know how I missed that one, but I went back and listening to <laughs> that okay. whole series. And yeah. it was, it's so it's so good that yeah. you know you kind of wanted just to show the videos. I don't even know if it's fair just to show the videos on Sunday morning and call that church, but I'm sure <laughs> it's happened, and I'm very tempted to do it. It's that good. Sure. It's really really good. Yeah, you know the art director for that series, um, Everett. Uh, is one of our one of our early artists, and um, he just did such an amazing job. So it was his idea to develop a different visual style for the three main literary styles that are in the Bible for narrative, poetry, oh, yes. and prose discourse. And so they developed these cool. Anyway, it was so cool. I had so much fun working on that. And then uh, for me, it was an important series because. It was actually in a series of how to read the Bible classes in college that I got hooked on biblical studies. They were like the hook, line, and sinker that brought me into the wonderful world that has become my vocational life. And so was that was in Wisconsin? Mm, it's all the way back in college. In really? um, all I've ever done out past high school is studied biblical studies <laughs> from yeah. college on. So I was literally a college freshman sitting in how to read the Bible. And I was just like, really? Like, this is what it's all, what's going on here? And I never emerged from the cave. I'm still in it, actually. Yeah. Gosh. I think what's happening, we're right now we're in the middle, well, we just started a um, uh, Becoming Biblically Literate series at our mm-hmm. at our church at Reality. Yeah. And, and it's kind of a, we did a year of biblical literacy, you remember, way back in the day. Um, we yes. did that together, oh, yeah. Bridgetown and, oh, yeah. um, and Bible project and reality. And so we're kind of revisiting some of those concepts. And, uh, and as I, as I, as we are doing it two weeks in, I think mm-hmm. what's happening again, cause so many people, I mean, just like Portland, so transient, so many people are mm-hmm. new to our church and mm-hmm. I'm hearing that they're, they're, the Bible is getting kind of off the hook mm-hmm. for them where it's like a dangerous document that is full of all of the stuff that um, mm-hmm. is so un-PC and so not cool to read now. And it's mm-hmm. kind of unlocking it to like, I can go to this this library of books again. And it's mm-hmm. so literary and beautiful. Such a, and, and strange layered. and unfamiliar. And that's right. Yeah. yeah. 
There's one danger represented when the Bible becomes overfamiliar in the religious community. That's right. Because all it's just you're too used to it and you can't see it for all its shocking strangeness. Um, and then I guess I don't know if it's a, if it's a danger. Well, I guess the danger on the unfamiliarity side is it's so strange that you dismiss it out of hand as just ancient primitive literature or something, and you miss That's the opportunity right. to really expand and open your awareness to other ways of seeing the world. And the layered part of it, um, you kind of get into that in some of the How to Read the Bible series, like how things, especially your ancient, like your um, ancient meditation literature one, yes, on how yes, yes. it's supposed to be, you're supposed yes. to turn these, they're, they're kind of built to where they leave open questions, like the beginning of a conversation and a lot of people grew up where the Bible is the end of the conversation. Like it says it right there, black yes. and white, end of the conversation. Yep. Where yeah. a ancient, you know, meditation literature is like, no, that's the beginning of the conversation. That's Let's have exactly a conversation right. about this and meditate yeah. on this and talk about it. Yeah, yeah. That no, was... that's that's the and for me, Dave still is the biggest adjustment that I still have in reading and studying biblical literature. Is it's so unlike any other kind of literature, although. Depending, if you really read in like, like actual literature, literature, yeah, uh, yes, in terms exactly. of novels, um, and there's a lot of like pop, you know, like candy literature, of course. Uh, that's yeah. just easy reading. Take you can read on a beach, but you know, you read like, I don't know. I, I've for years I've been fascinated with Cormac McCarthy, who's a modern yes. American author. Um, yes, he's, he's older. Don't know how many years he'll be with us, but every novel he puts out. You can follow it and read it, but you finish it going like, I something really important just happened to me, and I'm not yeah. fully sure what it is. I think I need to read it again. So, That's right. That's like, right. And, and the Bible is like that, but times a thousand, and it's on purpose. Like We don't read yeah. or encounter media very often that's intentionally designed to not be clear fully on the first reading, but that's that... exactly how the Bible's designed. Okay. I'm so glad you said that. Because I think we we want thing we want information like we're just yeah. like an information age, yeah. And so the Bible gives us wisdom, and that's a whole different type of thing where you have mm -hmm. to where you have mm -hmm. to keep turning it over and going to mm -hmm. this. What does that really mean? What does that mean for us today? I am mm -hmm. I'm I'm always fascinated by the Hebrew scriptures mm -hmm. because um, you have to read them. I think what I've learned is you have to read them that way. They're not. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do you derive authority from a narrative and a story and even ancient like laws, how, how you, yeah. it's still authoritative in some way yeah. and how you actually like, uh, live under its authority is, mm -hmm. takes a lot of wisdom, a lot of time. Mm -hmm. How have you, yep. so one of the questions I have, how have you, um, like at the beginning of your journey, what kept your journey going? Like what kept it going? Obviously you're, mm. I don't know, mm. 20 something years into this journey. Yes, How, yeah. when it started, if you can remember when you first started like, wait, you can read the Bible like that. What, mm. like, how mm. did that journey start? And then what did you do at the very beginning? Mm. Well, um, there were so many elements that like are uh, hard to reproduce, maybe. I don't know. I'll, well, I'll tell you, and I guess you can tell me if they're hard to reproduce. One was um, I had a really strong, vibrant faith community um, with peers who were really committed to following Jesus and committed to just the value 
that reading and meditating on the scriptures and then talking about them with each other as like a part of how we hang out as friends, like that's a normal way to live as a human. Hmm. <laughs> so that's so that good. was really, and so for me, it was a skateboard park ministry um, that was uh, um, sponsored and run by a local church. And that's where I started following Jesus in my as a young adult man. And so in that community, that's just, and then sharing about how Jesus is changing me and what I'm learning with my other friends who skateboard, but don't follow Jesus. Like that was just the community where I came to faith. And so wow. there was a Bible college across the street from that skateboard park. And I was asked to start like teaching Bible studies or giving like talks at the, you know, at the park. And uh, I was like, God, what am I going to say? Other than yeah. telling my own story and things about Jesus that I can just read and make sense of without knowing anything at all. Uh, and uh, I ran, that list was pretty short, pretty quick. You know what I mean? So yeah, like, totally. And so I, it was out of need to like be more effective about sharing about Jesus in the, at the park was skate park was why I signed up for classes. And some of my friends did too. And so the, uh, so that's one factor, a vibrant, faith community where following Jesus and reading the scriptures so that we can follow Jesus more faithfully, that was just in the water. And I'm grateful for that. And then the second thing was meeting a wizard like Bible teacher hmm. um, who both um, really understood how scripture worked. He really valued understanding um, the Israelite Jewish heritage from which Christianity emerged as a grandchild, you know, mm -hmm. um, or as a, as a child of it, Jesus is, a, he's Jewish and he's an Israelite and he was born out of that story. And so this teacher like knew, but also he was a wizard communicator. And so he knew how to bring new young Bible readers in and help, like help guide them through all the shock that comes when you actually start reading biblical literature yeah you know in a dedicated way and so all the stuff we'd be like no way like god did this jesus said what david did what and he's yeah. just like yeah yeah you know what else he did this this and this and you know okay and then all of a sudden i was just mesmerized so yeah. faith community plus like somebody who was wise already yeah and could guide others in what it means to read this literature for a lifetime and reread it and reread it and gain wisdom from it and understand who Jesus is from it more. But there's a set of skills involved there that are really old and you have to be, it's being mentored or it's like an apprenticeship really. And so yeah. it's hard to do that by yourself and it's hard to do it with Wikipedia. Like you need people <laughs> and, and you need people who know how to, it's sort of like learning a martial art, I think, or yeah. it's like, learning a trade you need to yeah. go to an actual person and be in a relationship with people and that's how these texts has always been studied when they're being studied yeah, that, at their best yeah that's yeah that's what i when you were sharing that i was thinking that was kind of how the tradition of how these oral traditions and teachings were passed on was that mm. they've, they've been mm -hmm. doing that for thousands of years like mm -hmm. you teach them and you walk with people and you live them out yeah. and you yeah. tell the story and you add commentary and you add perspective and mm -hmm. even interpretation. Mm -hmm. And this is what could have been happening then. And, um, yep. and the other thing yeah. too, that you bring up, I think this is fascinating. Um, when you're 
because this is literally my exact same story. I get saved, hmm. come to Christ. Hmm. And um, as I start following Jesus, that someone asked me to teach junior hires the Bible. And I'm like, I don't, hmm. I don't even know the Bible. Like I just <laughs> got my first Bible with my name on it. Like, how do you want me to do this? And I just figured it out. And it yeah. was by teaching that I had to learn it. And there's something yes. about that too, about, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, saying yes to teaching, whether it's a Bible study or children's ministry or something. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that almost causes you to step in to go, I need to learn this, you know, but, yeah. um, but the mentorship is so important. Do you think, yeah, yeah finding that, finding those people, what do you mm. think the call of a, of a pastor is in that? And mm. I ask this question mainly selfishly because I'm mm -hmm. like, I love doing this. And yet mm. there's probably a lot of like, I don't have as much time as I want to have sure. for that. Yeah, sure. Well, I, man, that's so specific for each person and that's the so, tradition yeah, they're yeah, part right. of and how each yeah. tradition defines and structures what the role of their leaders are, you know, so it really depends. But I, it does seem to me that a healthy church community probably ought to have on its list somewhere that we have trusted, wise um, uh, teachers or people that can guide others in how mm -hmm. uh, to engage scripture as a part of their discipleship to Jesus. And that doesn't have yeah. to be people, all people employed. Um, in yeah. fact, it probably shouldn't be, but there's yeah. one of the main, there should be somebody, uh, who has a group of people who are like, these are our Bible nerds and, uh, these are the people that are accessible and they're mentoring others. And, and, but there's so many ways that, the, and there's so many ways it has looked throughout history for how that process yeah. works. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I just find the, that as, especially as a, as I'm getting older, like that being the thing that I want to do more than anything like mm -hmm. sitting with people discussing, mm -hmm. discussing the Bible mm -hmm. and the scriptures and following Jesus as a part of all of that, um, mm -hmm. more than anything. So mm -hmm. I wonder even if it's mm -hmm. an age thing as you age, yeah. you're like, yeah, sure. I have this, I feel this responsibility to not yeah. go out and like yeah. conquer the world. It's like, how do I, um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or I think like, you know, uh, uh, a distance mentor, uh, of ours who, you know, we got to meet on one occasion, but, um, mm -hmm. uh, Eugene Peterson, That's right. but for example, he saw his vocation as a pastor to teach people how to pray and how to read yep. scripture as an expression of their discipleship to Jesus. And that, that's how he defined his job. <laughs> I know. And so I, I know loved everybody that, yeah. defines just... the pet job of pastor in a different way, but just to say, this is core because what we're really talking about here is about what is the, what is like, um, the core story and um, not just belief system, like I've, I, things that I ought to believe as a Christian, but what's the story that fires my imagination that I wake up every day and I think, what story do I think I'm living in? And mm -hmm. what story do me and my friends think that we're living in and that we're making decisions based on and how we treat people and what people we would really, all that stuff. Like where's that all coming out of? Like that's really what this is about. Um, that's right. And all our values come out of that and our, our decisions and our most important kind of decisions are all based out of that. Like that's what's at stake here. And yeah. the scriptures, when they're functioning the way that they are designed to and have always functioned at their best, uh, the scriptures at the heart of, of communities of Jesus, do, having that effect on people, 
But the question is, how do you get the Bible to do that for a group of people? <laughs> that's what yeah. we're, that's like the, what we're talking that's about. That's the work. Okay, so I want to, yeah. two questions that come out of this. One, it feels like it's shifting gears a bit. It's about, it's on like parenting. You have mm -hmm. two young mm -hmm. uh, sons mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, 11 and nine, eight? And nine, yeah. yeah. 11 and nine. How have you taught them the Bible? Mm. How have you since, like, maybe start when they were really young? How how, <laughs> how have you yeah. um, done that? That's a yeah, it's a great question. I mean, di um, my parents didn't. Uh, my parents followed followed Jesus, and they they followed Jesus all the time I was growing up. So, and and their discipleship to Jesus was a big deal to them. It was a big part of you know, our conversation and values of the home. They didn't force it on me. So like the Bible reading, memorizing thing was not at all part of my growing up. Um, so I don't have like a lived model that I'm replicating um, with my kids. So a decision that I made was pretty much for all the years before like five, six, it was just Jesus. Like mm. just stories about Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and I basically it was retelling stories or I would just have the Bible open like at bedtime, but I'm just retelling in my own kind of paraphrasing, you know, um, so or, um, story, story book Bibles. Um, I found this, uh, I think, I think it was a publisher that started in the UK called the good book, just the good, the good book company, something, mm -hmm. but man, they make such awesome Bible children's books retelling stories of parts of the Bible. And I just found that publishing house and was started noticing like everything by them is awesome. So I just started cool, like picture board books for kids, but especially their Jesus books. So I just kept it on Jesus. till basically, uh, a couple of years ago. <laughs> uh, wow. so for like my 11 year old, when he was around nine, you know, there's these really handy videos. <laughs> Uh, animated <laughs> explainer videos. Yes. So like, and I've kind of been watching Bible Project with the w videos with them all along. But just in this last year, did I really start to go back to? And so, if you and Bible Project always starts with the Eden story because the Eden story is yeah. the foundation for everything. And so yeah. that's a key part. But when it came to the more complicated, especially divine violence, um, yeah. those are stories in terms of reading them. Uh, uh, that I waited, I've and yeah. and I guess time will tell if that was a wise decision or not. So right now I'm reading with my son, my 11 year old son. We read through Genesis, uh, most of Exodus. He kind of burned out at the tabernacle instructions, <laughs> so, <laughs> like like 90 percent uh, of the church does when you read through the Bible. Yeah, exactly. Totally. So, um, but man, dude, I brought him forward to Joshua, and he's oh, yeah. into it. And That's then right. Judges, so into it. So. Um, I'm really my reading loves judges. And I'm trying to like, I, I think I oh, want to wow. go back just to Jesus. She lo yeah. like, she, what's the storybook ones? Cause they're all like superheroes, right? Yeah. They're all, yeah, totally. it's all yeah, crazy yeah, yeah. superhero stuff. And yeah. I'm like, my oh, goal oh. was if they have their core memories and associations with the Bible, be Jesus, Jesus, healing it's people, so feeding yeah. people, helping, loving. Um, and I've kind of just let the, what does his death mean? I've chosen to just let the repetition through the Bible Project videos and just telling the story have mm. its effect and trying not to explain 
over explain, but to just let the story be the thing that sits in their imagination. And I've been amazed yeah. at the ways Gosh. that they now talk about God's love and Jesus's love. So it's kind of starting to bear fruit. And but it's been more of a tell the story, let them sit in the story, tell it often kind of approach. And that's I'll, really wise. We'll just see what happens. I'm glad I'm having this conversation when my kids are really young still. Because <laughs> I think this yeah. is really wise. Like, because I've yeah. I've been actually thinking about this as a as a parent. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about this for you know children's ministry because I'm a pastor. And as I'm thinking about this, like sometimes going to the stories, the only thing mm -hmm. you can do with those Old Testament stories sometimes is pull the morality lesson from it. Sure. And it's really hard not to do that because you're like, what's this? Mm -hmm. What is it? When you go to Jesus, it's a bit different because you can just talk about the person of Jesus. And they're always hearing, right. yeah. kids are always yeah. hearing you pray in Jesus' name, worshiping Jesus when they're in the sanctuary with you, things like that. And so I love that approach because it does mm -hmm. it does give them all of this framework of their imagination of the story. Mm -hmm. And it, and pieces uh, come alive for them at different times. That's really good. Yes. I love yep. that. Yeah. Love the answer to that question. Yeah. So, so, so for example, the kind of conversation I could have with my 11 year old once we got like into Exodus, for example, and you have a, a ruling figure who's afraid of what a f um, flourishing immigrant group, this is Pharaoh looking at an immigrant mm -hmm. group, the Israelites in his midst. Mm -hmm. He begins to oppress them. God raises up. Moses, but then Moses is complicated because it's like he's mm -hmm. an Israelite, but then he's an Egyptian, but then he murders an Egyptian. And we're having conversations about Moses murdering the Egyptian and violence and justice. And when yeah. is violence a, what, a vehicle for justice? And what are, the, but what are yeah. the problems with that? So we've been having awesome conversations. Those are great But there's no yeah. way I was going to have that with my... And, and I don't have those conversations with my eight-year-old. You know? Yeah. So... Yeah, I think that's really where the same stories can become next level conversation starters about the most complicated issues in life. But it's the same stories can can yeah. bridge, make that bridge. And there's something about that where that's it. It's like it's the constant rereading over the course of your life where you are changing. So when you come back to the same story, it's not the same story anymore because you're not the same reader. And there's that effect, too, going on, I think. Oh, that's okay. That brings up another question. This is good. <laughs> How? Okay. This is a question of interpretation, by the way. Thank you for the answer to that question. That was so good and so helpful for me. And I know it'll be helpful for a ton of people um, in our church that have children. How, mm. how do you um, uh, interpret like interpretation of stories? Mm. Um, when we look mm. at, you know, for morals or ways of, and I don't mean morals mm. in, in the sense of like, when we moralize a text, but we're looking at stories for ways of mm -hmm. living out the way of Jesus from the scriptures. How mm -hmm. do you, what do you do as you interpret, let's say the old Testament specifically, how do you mm -hmm. interpret that? How, how do you begin to interpret that? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, man. That's totally, that's the question. I mean, one, so uh, one way, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I, I'm already coming to these texts for a reason, namely mm -hmm. that I'm a follower of Jesus. So hopefully the stories about Jesus and then also his teachings, especially like the crown jewel of his vision of what is the good life, which we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew yep. chapters five, six, and seven. Ideally, like that's just in 
ingrained, it's in the blood system of a disciple who's coming to the rest of the Bible. Um, at least I think that's how it's supposed to work. And so if yeah. that's true, what you're going to notice is all of these people behaving in ways that totally are not the way Jesus taught his followers to behave. And yeah. not only that, but that the people behaving that way are the people who are like, God is totally down and protecting and defending and walking through life with all these people who constantly don't at all live like Jesus taught his followers to yeah. live. And just that, that tension right there can feel like a glitch in the Bible. Like, yep. but so, and, okay, so I don't f model my life after Abraham and Sarah when they oppress their Egyptian slave, and then he has sex with her to produce this child that they end up exiling. Okay, so not that, but do model Abraham having faith and trust. And so like, what it, but he's the same person. And so I kind of like, once I read through and see him do that to their Egyptian slave, I'm like, well, am I supposed to be this, like this guy? Or So the, the, the biblical story um, is much, I mean, it's, lit, it's literature in terms of its character-driven portraits that are not models for behavior, but they're mirrors. They're mirrors. One of the things they do is they're mirrors for self-reflection. And as I watch this character struggle, sometimes fail, sometimes succeed in their journey of following this God who keeps hanging in there with them, I learn, I mean, almost like morals isn't even the right way. So you watch a guy, Abraham, get called just because God says, I'm going to give you a gift if you go to this mm -hmm. land. And so he does. That's so amazing. He just trusts yeah. God. Um, but then you watch him make all these really bad decisions that hurt himself and other people. And clearly the point is, do, the point of the story is not go do the this. Go like hire an Egyptian slave and, you know, then it's not, that's not the point. But it is like, oh man, I don't ever want to repeat that in my life. So hmm. it's a negative example, hmm. for example. Um, but then you watch that same person a few chapters later be really remarkable and trust God, even in the face of danger and death. And so these, the realistic character portrayals that are more mirrors for self-reflection that we become like dialogue partners in our own journey with God. But and maybe it's because many of us encounter Old Testament stories, if you grew up in the church when you're children, then what you are trained to see is each story has like a moral lesson. Be like this, don't be like this. And most of the Old Testament characters are more complex than that. They're kind of like, yeah. well, kind of be like them, but kind of don't. Yeah. And it just depends on the story. Um, so that's, that's one right. one piece. Uh, so maybe I'll, there is one other piece, but I'll just that's one piece. Okay, we'll pause there. I want the other piece, and I want I'll just interject. And this, I think, this goes back to how we started this conversation of reading this as literature, as mm -hmm. stories that have so many different layers mm -hmm. that you and you. What what triggered this this in my mind? The, the question. Was you said when you when you go to a text, you're a different person, and so you're seeing something different, which mm -hmm. m which means how which shows how layered the Bible is. Mm -hmm. Like I read mm -hmm. uh, the Abraham story when I first felt like mm -hmm. called to leave my um, my city of origin 
and sell my house and my wife and I move to start mm. a church. And I, mm. and I came to that text going, I, I need to do something that is just yeah. a, a sheer act of faith that makes zero sense to do. And I will mm. do it. Mm. And now I go to the story and I'm different. And so I see something different. Like mm -hmm. I, I see there now, like God willing to, mm. um, change the narrative of, of the world through one person. Like oh, we're mm. going to change the narrative mm. of everything. Like I'm going to be mm. with you. Mm. I'm going to redeem the world through you and your people. And this is, mm. I'm going to bless you. Mm. I'm going to do this all. So I see something different now. And as I meditate on it now, and I did then, yeah. but I have that memory there and I go yeah. back to it and I'm still asking that question over and over again. How can I do things yeah. that are faith driven? Um, and I think that's the layer part of the story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That that's exactly right. And so it's actually very similar to the what we look for in modern like movie and cinema and good character driven stories, which is uh, we resonate with characters when we can see aspects of ourselves in them. But also character stories are instructive to us when we watch characters go through things that we've been through, but then also make choices that maybe we haven't yet. And then mm -hmm. it teaches you. It's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll avoid that <laughs> in the future because mm -hmm. that's how it went for this person. But then also, whoa, like they made that decision and look what happened. I need to be open to making that kind of decision in the future. And I, so the bio, it's, it's narrative. That's how narratives function. Um, so that's one aspect. Okay. The second aspect, and maybe I should have started with this one, um, is foundational and it's why would anybody nowadays um, uh, read ancient Israelite literature, poetry and narrative? Like why, you know, you might have a friend who likes to read ancient Egyptian or ancient Mesopotamian or Greek or whatever, like, because they're nerds. But like, for the most part, it's not a normal thing to do. So why, why would I become a part of a religious community where learning to read specifically ancient Israelite literature is like a really big deal. Um, and so the, really the governing reason is if I'm a follower of Jesus, Jesus appealed to this set of texts, what Christians call the Old Testament, as being, he appealed to these texts to explain himself, who he was, what he was doing, and why he was doing it. And he appealed to these texts as explaining the larger story that he said that he was bringing it to, to its fulfillment. And so it really, it's a, out of devotion to Jesus, to understanding him so I can follow him with greater consistency and devotion. Mm -hmm. And he said about these texts that ultimately they tell a story, a pattern, a, uh, these, uh, the whole story of the Old Testament is a cyclical pattern working in a forward, building forward momentum to lead up to a figure that he said that he was, which was Israel's Messiah or anointed one, and that these texts are about him. Mm -hmm. So if that's what he said, then that should also be a really big thing of what I'm looking for. How do these texts point to Jesus? And they don't all do it in the form of prediction. They mm -hmm. do it in the form of telling a story where the problems set in front of you are the problems and crises that keep building, 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 and how is this going to get resolved? So the fundamental plot line is God wants to partner with humans in overseeing creation 
so that it is a flourishing place for all of God's creatures to live. Plot conflict. Humans do not want to live by God's word and wisdom. And how they go about partnering with God, we think we have better ideas. And, and there you go. That's essentially the plot conflict. And so what's God going to do to, but he is not going to give up on overseeing the world in close, intimate union with his partners, his human images. And how is that crisis going to get resolved? And it, it culminates in a story of God actually becoming one with humanity to be the human partner that we are all made to be, but consistently fail to be. And so, so the story points forward in a way where he's the only, he, he is the natural resolution of the story's crisis. And if I can begin to see my life story as in a story of opportunity for partnership, sometimes succeeding, sometimes failing, man, I really wish I had somebody I could be one with to like hmm. do the story with me so that I can be the, the partner in this world that God's calling me to be. Um, that, wouldn't it be great if we had literature that taught us what, what it looks like? And so yeah. the, the biblical story is that. So it's not, it, it's about Jesus. And by being about Jesus, it can be about me as a follower yeah. of Jesus. And I think sometimes we want to come to the old, especially Old Testament stories and just get moral lessons, but take out the bigger storyline that points to Jesus. And it seems like that's exactly backwards of how Jesus taught us to approach it. Does that make any sense? I think I should have started with oh, that one. But No, that completely makes sense. Yeah, and it's helpful too. It's helpful because um, it's like keeping the entire... Uh, the, the entire storyline in mind as you're reading mm -hmm. everything, making sure that you have the, the, the plot and um, what is, what disrupts the plot and mm. where are we at in the story and mm -hmm. how this builds. Mm -hmm. And so um, keeping that like that, like North star mm. is really, really, really important. And yeah. I, um, I have a question about, mm. um, I love you to try to explain the divine part of the Bible being a library of books, both human and divine. And mm. I think mm. it's hard to get our minds around how, mm. you know, and you said this in the, uh, I think the first uh, How to Read the Bible series where you were talking about the Tanakh specifically. And you're like, these were oral oral stories, mm. oral history, oral tradition given. Mm. And then eventually, mm. especially in and around the time of, um, of, uh, of the exodus and then exile and then mm -hmm. right around that time is when the writings were actually written the way we have them now in their form mm -hmm. how from all of that the telling and retelling of the story mm. to the fact to the reality of them turning into uh, mm. scrolls that eventually turned into our bibles how is that how are they divine <laughs> yeah yeah it's a great that's a great question um May I, uh, it's a comp, it's a comp, it's a many layered question yes. to respond to because, um, we are at a time in history where even to ask, uh, is, what it means to say something is divine means a whole bunch of things that it did not mean to the biblical authors. For example, mm. for us, it means, That's well, if it's know. divine, that means it's probably a part of some other realm that's different. Um, some divine realm that's spiritual, not physical. Um, if it's divine, it, it's exclusive of humans being involved. 
It's divine, but not human. We see those as op opposites. And so all of those are categories we have that are totally foreign to how Jesus saw probably, the world. Yeah, probably it's perfect. There, It's perfect in its perfect form. I, yeah, I would imagine yeah. it's something like that. Yeah, sure. So I think maybe one, so that there's multiple threads to pick up in in your question, but it's a really important one. And I, uh, I mean, it's important to me too and has been for a really, really long time. Maybe one way to think about it, what, um, what the biblical texts are, is they're a family history of, a fa of an actual human family called the ancient Israelites. Um, and it is their family heritage story. And what this family claims to have experienced throughout its whole history is um, being on a journey, a interactive relational journey with a spiritual being who has revealed that being self as being the author of all life, creation, and reality, like the creator. And the, their journey with this God has been extremely complicated, <laughs> full of transcendence and wonder and beauty and pain and suffering and a lot of time. And so, like, that's what this story claims, is that this people's been on a journey with God for a long time. And as each generation had the experience that they had, their memories were added to the growing story. And this was for sure happening uh, in earliest form, in the forms of oral poetic narrative, oral epic narrative, which are the oldest forms of human literature that we have mm -hmm. um, from from both ancient Egypt and ancient Mesopotamia is in terms of narrative literature. There's also a lot of ancient like divorce receipts and land purchase agreements. And these are also the other ancient, most ancient texts, but they're less exciting to read. So, but for sure, like the Israelites were doing that and each generation would meditate and retell in a, um, as a way of of a way of hearing that God still address and speak to them and guide them further on into their story. Mm. Eventually, that those traditions took written form, and eventually those traditions were brought together. And these are the the kind of the the origins of uh, of what we call the the books of the Bible. So, but it was humans doing that. But what they claim is that what these texts are is. A, a way of retelling the story so that when we retell it this way, we encounter that God speaking mm. to us through wow. the words that tell us our story of the journey with God. And so the subjective experience of Israelites hearing God speak to them through retelling their story with God, and part of their story with God is how they talk back to God in prayer, like in the Psalms. So that, you know, these are words to God from the poets. Um, and then in the process of that becoming a book of the scriptural collection, the book of words to God becomes a book of God's word to his people. So wow. it's always yeah. it's always human and divine. It's never like one more than the other. It's always been together. And this is why I think, you know, Jesus, it's one of the many ways Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of this family story because the claims that he made about himself were that he was that God become a human to do for Israel and for all humanity what none of us seem to be able to do for ourselves, um, which is overcome our stupidity and selfishness and overcome death. Uh, that's a whopper.
And so yeah. um, it's, it's precisely a divine human as one that's the fulfillment of the story. So that's one way of thinking about it. I, but there's other ways too, Dave, that are really important. That's um, really helpful. <laughs> but, no, that's uh, helpful. That's one pass at it. Um, that is remarkably helpful. I think we live in a world today that is so... I don't know, overly obsessed with the black and white doctrine that mm. how do we pull doctrine from every single bit of the scripture that mm. has ruined in some way ruined. And I know that word's kind of maybe too harsh, but the way we approach the Bible to where mm. we're asking questions of it, that as you said, were never really asked, you know, up until mm. recently. And mm. we put the Bible under textual criticism and it pulls mm. us away from a living faith mm. in the living God who, mm. who mm. we can have a relationship with through this, through this, through this library. Yeah. I, I hear that. H however, the flip side is that, um, the, the nature, the character and the identity of the God being revealed through, um, these texts and this family story. I mean, it's definitely a, a distinct, per like you are a distinct person. And if I were to start talking about you in ways that are not true of who you are, like that would matter to you and yeah. you would tell me about it. And so in a similar way, um, there has always been uh, a right motivation to make sure that we distill how we talk about who is being revealed to us through the story? Who is the mm. God and who is the Jesus being revealed to us? And I think that's the role that theology and doctrine has played over the years at its best. But it's not meant that's to good. replace the experience that we have as a, individuals right. in a community to just encounter God as we read and meditate on these texts. Like that's that's where the action is. And that's right. it's sort of like um, the, the rabbis had a... Had, um, a saying in the days of Jesus, they talked about building a fence around the Torah. So there are all these commands in the Torah given to ancient Israel about how to be faithful to their covenant partnership with God. But there are many commands that are not always as clear as they need to be to be fully followed, like resting on the Sabbath, for example. Don't work on the Sabbath. Well, what constitutes work? The Torah only defines two definitions of work, <laughs> which is gathering sticks and starting a fire. And you're like, oh, is that it? Like, I think there's other ways to work. So the rabbis saw their job to fill it out, to yeah. fill out, uh, well, what is meant by work? And they meditated on psalms and on narratives, and they came up with a really comprehensive list of work to to provide that fence, as it were. And and I don't know, maybe, maybe some Protestants think of that as a bad thing, and we're like, they're being legalistic, but they're not being, they're devoted to God, and they want to live by God's yeah. wisdom. And so I think that's the role that doctrine and theology can play. But when building our systems of belief um, and filling them out, I think can sometimes become a substitute for just the, the much more raw subjective encounter of how I feel when I read the flood story. <laughs> yes. And when I see God's grief and then he hands creation over to the whole cosmos collapses or whatever. And like there's something happens for me personally, in my relationship with God, when I meditate on that story, that's very different than when I'm thinking about God's attributes kind of abstracted into a bullet point list. And both are important, but they're not the same thing. I don't, does that and I think speak to what you you're had saying? 100%. I think you had it in the right order 
because I'm, yeah, I'm not, I, I, I think what we do and what I've, you know, we live in, you and I both live in very, you know, secular cities. Typically what happens is we get confronted with uh, doctrine from people who don't believe. Well, you believe X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And, and it says right here, chapter and verse, you know, Exodus or Leviticus or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. verse, um, and uh, Romans or whatever. And then you're like, but you haven't immersed yourself in the story yet. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, you can't start reading it with like what's wrong and what's right. You almost have to start, you have to immerse yourself. And mm-hmm. then exactly what you mm-hmm. said from this meditation literature comes, well, who, who we have to make sure we have who God is revealing himself to be right. And so doctrine is mm-hmm. really important. I mean, it's very, very important. I think mm-hmm. because we're obsessed with it, we kind of get we kind of get the cart before the horse a bit. I think, mm-hmm. in my conversations mm-hmm. that I have with people, I'm like, no, you immerse yourself in the story a bit longer, sit mm-hmm. with it a bit longer, and then from there, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Which brings me to the final question: How have you, and how do you recommend people change their mind about things they once believed? What's a healthy way mm. of changing your mind? Because I'm sure mm. over the time that you've mm. studied, there's certain things mm. that you you believe that now believe is a, maybe probably not the right word, yeah. but there's things that you yeah, thought sure. and you're yeah. like, I changed yeah. my mind on that from my study yeah. of scripture. How does that yeah. look like for you? What does that look like for you? Hmm. Man, it's really uh, very rarely is it happen quickly. It's more kind of like, hmm, I'm really interested. I feel like I'm this thing that used to make sense to me about this is part of some idea or theme in the Bible, and it's not. And so I'm just going to start reading and meditating on every text in the Bible I can think about that's relevant to this thing. And then all of a sudden, a year later, I realize like, oh, I think my conviction has developed from where I was at. And Mm -hmm. the way I used to talk about it, I wouldn't talk about it that way now, or I would frame it this way, or I disagree with my past self and so yes, you're describing my daily life, <laughs> but it's slow. It's really slow. Okay. And slow. It's, um, it's very rarely, I'll, there have been a handful of things where it's like, I'll finally be looking at a text. I'm, and, but at this point, I'm 25 years into the journey of following Jesus and the Bible's played a big role. So it's not like, oh, there's some part of the Bible I have never read yet. And like yeah. now that I've read it, it's, it's usually about how do I put all the pieces together Mm-hmm. And in what level of priority in my thinking? And that's usually where interpretive differences come in the Bible. It's sort of like the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, but that actually technically, you know how some pieces you can kind of make them fit, even though yep. you're not quite sure. Have you ever had that experience? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I think this worked. Yeah, and then my, if you're my daughter all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then some pieces you're just like, gosh, I want to move on to a new section. So this this piece just fits. I'm gonna, I'm just going to make it fit. <laughs> yeah. And so I think sometimes our experience with the Bible is like that, where we make yeah, things gaps. fit. Yeah, exactly. And like, I don't enough have time goes all by. the information. Yeah. Yeah. Enough time goes by and you go, I think that actually doesn't fit. I used to think that's fit. And I don't think that's true to this other part of the Bible. And it's not true to Jesus's character or God's character. And so I think my thinking is developed on that point. So I'm having these experience constantly. And I, I think, but I think that's how all the way back. If this is a collection of texts um, that the Spirit of God has been guiding the biblical authors over many generations as these texts have taken shape, then it's actually, that's what I would expect. I would expect that if there are that many generations 
in the making of these texts, but it, I just have one lifetime, like mm -hmm. that I, sh I should expect that I'm constantly going to see new things, that it's going to be revising and developing, but also like with a true north. And that true north, I think, is the reason I'm reading these texts in the first place, and which is Jesus. And mm -hmm. so, um, but, but there's ways to think about the Hebrew Bible as pointing towards Jesus that I think some are more helpful and some are less helpful. And so I want to develop and keep growing in that area too. So I, I don't, yeah, I have been forced to just be in a perpetually open-minded position when it comes to meditating on scripture, but not aimless. Like I feel like I'm, and that's about the community and other people that are my mentors or people that I'm learning from to make sure I'm not like going off into left field. And that's a really important part of it too. That's really good. I, th I think the reason I want to end there, because I think there's more and more people are um, changing their mind about all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and th sometimes it could be pretty, um, pretty rash and pretty quick. I, I'm, I have that propensity to do that. Actually, one of my mentors w told me early on when I started to preach regularly, like you read something and then you, you preach it the next Sunday. Once you sit with it for like a year before you actually preach something new that mm. you like this thing, I didn't know this, you know, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, and so to sit with it and to meditate on it. And mm -hmm. I love how you said, it, and then slowly what happens is your conviction or the way you you frame it changes. That's mm -hmm. really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, this whole conversation has been so helpful, Tim. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for what you do, what you add to the kingdom. What, like, dude, your, your work at the Bible Project is so helpful. I'm so grateful mm -hmm. for you, man. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, man. I just, yeah, as a, as a last encouragement, I know because I, I still have these experiences that the Bible can feel like a frustration in my attempt to make sense of following Jesus and follow him. Like the Bible can become the obstacle. And I just my feel like the thing I'm saying, like everybody now is like, that's not a glitch in the Bible. It's a feature of the Bible yes. to force you to have those experiences that's of right. frustration. Because it's that frustration that can get turned into energy for you to seek out God more relationally in prayer, but also to seek out understanding which means a lot more conversation in your community and a lot more reading and meditation yourself. And that is the, that's the thing. Like that is that the actual is the thing. thing. And so yep, like just I, I want to encourage whoever's listening, if you get frustrated by the Bible, it's not a glitch. It's actually part of how it works. And to just encourage you to channel that into uh, a series of next steps. And finding those next steps is part of the challenge. And that's why church communities are so important. Thank you, Tim. That was beautiful. Thank you.